in your Bible to the book of John, chapter 10. You know this scripture so well. It's just my favorite. Jesus said, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill. That word steal is literally the word klepto. And to kill, it's talking about murder. And to destroy, it means to make useless. To kill, steal, and destroy. I am come that they might have life, zoe, life as God lives it, and that they might have it more abundantly. Hallelujah. The Beck version says a thief only comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Listen to this. I came so that they will have life and have it overflowing in them. I came that they might have life and have it overflowing in them. It just keeps on coming because overflowing implies that it's not just static, that it's not just a full cup, but that it's like a spring. It's bubbling up and overflowing out. The contemporary English says, I came so that everyone would have life and have it in its fullest. So whatever the realm that God has life in, he's apportioned to you and I through the Lord Jesus to have it to the fullest. Oh, hallelujah. That's the will of God. Jesus said, I came, I am come. The reason I came. He didn't come to forgive sin, but you can't have full life without forgiving sin. But it didn't stop it forgiving sin. If you only got your sins forgiven, you're just a forgiven sinner. You got to have that life. You got to have the life of God. The Amplified says, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So if it's not overflowing, we hadn't tapped all of the life that Jesus brought. Amen. So when they were in Egypt, children of Israel, they didn't have enough. Then they were in the wilderness, they had just enough. Then they got over in the land of promise, they had more than enough. The message version says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life more and better than they ever dreamed of. Oh my, now I'm a dreamer. How about you? Got some plans, got some ideas, have seen some things that are out there that you'd say... I'd like to have that in my life. He said, I've got that and more in this Zoe abundant life. Jesus said, I came that they might have it. But obviously the devil came also to steal, to kill, and destroy, to kill the life that you had. Sinners don't have an overflow, but the devil just works on them. He wants to always keep fear going. He just whips some people with cancer and whips some people with MS and CP and all this stuff just to keep the curse stirred up so people are fearful. He's just after everyone to keep you off balance, just to say, oh, no, oh, no. So he's got an agenda. But the Lord came with an agenda that you wouldn't live under that curse, but that you'd live in the fullness. Not poverty and lack, not sickness, not strife. Boy, I tell you, our world's full of strife right now. Debbie talked about Martin Luther and the strife that was in our nation that we went through that strife, through the race relationships and having these mindsets in America that were so horrific, caused tremendous strife. It tore our nation up. Right now, we're in a tremendous arena of strife politically. The Democrats and the Republicans and the agendas that they're espousing. And whatever side you're on, it doesn't really matter because we're in an arena of strife and you've got to live above it. You can have an opinion and you can voice your opinion, you can stand for it, but you've got to live out of strife. You can't throw a rock at someone that doesn't agree with you. Amen. So the devil's got an agenda, and he's working against you, and Jesus has got an agenda, and he's working for you, and you and I are deciding all the time how we're going to let that play out. Well, now, if you're born again, you should let Jesus have the preeminence. 
But like Debbie said, if you're raised in it, if you think that way, if you're acclimated to that, sometimes we think beneath our privileges, beneath our inheritance, beneath our legal status. We think less than what we should. It's on the shelf, it's got our name on it, saying, come and get it, and we're just sitting there going, hmm, I don't know. And we live a lesser life. And so the world doesn't really know the Christian church as being victorious. We look just like them, only we just claim under our breath and sometimes inconsistently and with not a lot of confidence, I'm going to heaven. And it ought to be more than going to heaven. <laughs> it ought to be more than life insurance. So I would ask you this morning, you'd have to ask yourself, how are you doing to the relative life that Jesus brought that in the message says, I have come that they might have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Today, on January 17th, 2010, how are you doing on the sliding scale? Have you tapped it out? Are you saying, Lord, I've got all there is? Or are you on some other area that says, you know, there's more to have. I know there's more than I'm having. And if you can acknowledge that there's more than what you're having, you ought to stop your life, stop your thinking, stop your roller coaster existence and stop and say, I'm going to stop and get more. Because this time last year, you probably said, you know, there's more. And if you're not considerably further along this year than you were last year, then you would be just maintaining. You give a little, you lose a little, but we are supposed to consistently be growing in the Lord Jesus, taking new ground that our faith ought to be increasing. Our knowledge ought to take us to places where ignorance used to drag us. We don't go there anymore. We've learned some lessons through experience and through revelation, and it's not the same as it was. you got to say, Jesus came, and if I'm not having it, there's something wrong on my side. Amen. In Mark chapter 10, let's look again in Mark chapter 10 about what it's going to take to put you over there. There's steps, there's keys, there's things that you could do, but there's things that are landmark, that give us breakthrough, that would cause our life to take an exponential jump from wherever it is. You've experienced those things where you made the right decision at some place in your life and you saw it paid off big. Well, here in Mark chapter 10, it's talking about that thing. In verse 17, it says, And when he was gone forth from there into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered, this man answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. And most Jew boys, that's what they did in that time, in that culture. And Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And then Jesus went on and talked about the rich, how hard it was for the already rich to come into the kingdom of God. You understand that it's somewhat of a blessing that you didn't get rich on your own before you came to Jesus. That it is a blockade, it is a limitation to a lot of people to think, what do I need God for because I'm sad and money just buys everything. But now that you're his... He wants to set you up. Hallelujah. He wants you to have it, but he wants you to know where it came from. <laughs> Amen. But the key here 
is that Jesus said to this man, amazingly, what would you do if he said it to you? Only one thing thou lackest, Deborah. Bill, only one thing. I mean, I'd stand tall if the Lord Jesus stood in front of me and said, Michael, one thing. And I'm going, Lord, there's a lot of stuff out there, and you're saying one thing will put me over? (laughs) Hey, that's a good deal. But you know what he was actually saying is, is one thing today. He wasn't saying this was going to fix everything, although, although, even though you could put a list together that says, I got a lot of stuff that needs fixing. I'm behind and not working so good on a lot of things. Yet, if you had the right thing, the right thing fixed, if you had the right thing, the man in Acts chapter 3 that had the weak angle, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, that fixed a whole lot of other troubles. Now he could work, he could marry, he could find kids. He had a great life for one thing. So if the Lord was to fix one key thing in your life, a lot of stuff on your list would disappear. Now, in a few months, you would come up with a new list, and it would surface that, hey, there's some other things that never were on the forefront. But right then, he said, one thing thou lackest. Now, family, you got to get this. There's a keystone in your life that God wants to minister to you that'll move your whole life forward exponentially. I know when we come to the first of the year, we got this list of things, of resolutions that says, I I, I am a slug in so many areas. And we acknowledge ourselves, all the things that could and should be better. But actually, it's just really one thing. If you find the one thing, and that's all we can work on at a time anyway, Y'all talk to me. Really, you put the list up there and it overwhelms you. It's like, (laughs) throw that away. It's like, (laughs) give me strength. And that's how come exercise equipment is cheap in April. (laughs) Cheap in April. You can buy everything that'll hurt you in April for nothing. Because all of us were, you know, rallying the troops in January. You know, death to the flab. I'm on it. In April, we're going, (coughs) pass the donuts, please, (laughs) in so many other areas. And so really, all you and I can focus on at a time, the word bears it out, is one thing at a time. But you got to find the key thing. So many people I know major on the minors. Did y'all get that? They are spending energy on things that just, when they get there, it didn't change anything. And while they were endeavoring to get there, a whole bunch of stuff that was major just slid into the sea and it's coming back. Jesus said, one thing thou lackest. It was the truth. And he wasn't actually saying, go become poor. What he was saying was, is get liquid. To a businessman, he was saying, get liquid. You got this stuff where you're collecting rent every Thursday, and you're buying supplies every Saturday for your businesses. You're checking in the vendors on every Monday. He said, get liquid. Get you a manager. Get you where you can come go with me. He didn't say become poor. He said, get yourself where you aren't encumbered by the world, but you have a supply. But the man didn't see it. It just, whew, right over him. He had built him a little castle around those things, and that was his God. Even though he was asking Jesus, is there a way I can have both? And he didn't hear it the way he wanted to hear it. He was conditioned. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So he heard, this is probably not going to work, but I'm going to ask anyway. And right away, he fell away. Well, the word keystone, it's the principle of the keystone. And a keystone is literally the bridging piece that makes an arch 
the strongest form in nature. And the reason that a keystone is so important is it's the top piece in an arch. It's the top brick or the top stone in an arch. And what makes it so powerful is that it causes the strength of every stone in the arch to increase. It causes the capacity of every other element in the arch to be raised. So the keystone is important. A keystone in military terms is whatever that a general would do with his army that would cause the whole army to advance forward through one strategic act. Everybody can one-on-one it, but what could you do that would in one fell swoop have results that would be as if you had many more than you did or had much more power or money or whatever? It would be a strategic way to advance your life. And that's what a keystone is. And Jesus was talking about that to this man. He said, one thing you lack, you lack the keystone. In life, a keystone is any strategic move that moves your life forward or moves your life backward exponentially. And we talked about last week how the Bible talks about one can put a thousand to flight, but that two can put 10,000, and that sometimes what you need to advance your life the most is just somebody to come into agreement with you, somebody to pull in alongside, because it's not one plus one equals two, it's that you can get a tenfold increase on agreement. So we all need a friend, don't we? The man that had the four crazy friends that was paralyzed, that had to get up on the roof, what a great advantage he had by having those four crazy friends. They may have been bar buddies. They may have been night creatures or something at one time. They all came to his aid. And the Bible says that when Jesus saw their faith, their faith. So sometimes the greatest advantage you can have is to have some crazy friends that like you. (laughs) That are in faith. Yeah, hallelujah. But in the spirit, a keystone is simply the word breakthrough. Say breakthrough. breakthrough. That's what you need. You don't need a little increase. We got increase all the time. We're going to work, and we're all saying, you know, I'm better. I'm doing it. It's not a bad life. But breakthrough is what would push your whole life forward at an exponential rate that would cause your whole life to advance, and you would look back and say, wow, I've been translated. I was back there, and now I'm up here, and I need one of those. And everyone in here, if you would stop your busy life, would have to acknowledge, I need a breakthrough. I didn't say you weren't making it, didn't say that survival wasn't on, the, and that you weren't even doing better than you had been in a while. That's the hardest thing about this gospel, is that God just so blesses us with this gospel, a lot of times people stop and say, why go forward? It's better than it's ever been. This is a great life. But, you know, we stop short of the plan or the will of God. He's taken us somewhere, and it's just blessed on the way through. But you can't stop. So we need a keystone. We need a breakthrough in our life. And there's a lot of people in the Bible, you can look at their lives and you can say, wow, that was a time. You remember Samson. Samson was a judge in the Bible and he was called to rule the people. But he had this pride problem. He didn't get it. And Delilah, this woman, she used her wiles on him and set the whole nation back. The Philistines came in and gouged his eyes. It was a bad, bad season. Just because she twisted his hairs and says, honey, you move me. You can't think a whole nation can can be set back by that, but it absolutely set him back exponentially, and it wiped out the whole nation because one big lug just wanted someone to flutter at him. Blink, 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 you know. 
Saul. Saul had all sorts of issues about obeying God in his office. David and Goliath, the whole thing, and with Gilgal, he wouldn't obey God. The prophet came to him and said, obedience is better than sacrifice. You wouldn't do it, so God's not going to do it for you. Set his whole kingdom back just because he wouldn't go within there and obey God on that Ziklag business. Agrippa told Paul, remember King Agrippa? He said, thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. And so he missed it. He's right there with the apostle of the whole New Testament. And he doesn't get born again because he just didn't quite. Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, my, my, my. Got set back. They thought, well, everybody's doing this. We'll just do it too. And so they lied about their possessions in Acts chapter 5. They literally had giving based on competition. Do I hear 20? Do I hear 25? You know, who will give a quarter of section? Who will give 300 acres, you know? And they just were keeping up with these other people, and they couldn't keep up. And so they had to lie about it, and it killed them. Remember Naaman, Naaman the leper, struggled with pride. You know, he's a leper. He's not even a covenant leper. You know, he was some kind of kite, a Malachite, Hittite. He was somebody that was out of the pure blood thing, and he was prideful to say, I'm not going down to that river. You know, people get full of themselves. But he did put the keystone together, and he did go down and dip seven times. And it changed everything. Joseph refused to take revenge on his brothers that had done him wrong. And it was a keystone for the whole nation. Remember that? When they stood before him, he said, you boys are good boys. And they'd all been bad. David let God forgive him of felonious sins. Murder is a felony. Adultery, bad. He let God forgive him. You go, is that a keystone? Absolutely. Many, many men fail because they don't let God forgive them. They don't go any further. Oh, I did bad. Well, God forgives you. Well, I just can't forgive myself. Well, you stopped. It's over for you. David went on. The woman with the issue of blood, she risked everything just to touch the hem of a garment. What's that got to do with healing? Paul stayed on earth for our prophet. Remember him saying, I could go, but I'm staying for your prophet. That was a keystone for us. Hallelujah. Jesus endured the cross in faith for every man. What a keystone for our lives. And then you, just the fact you got born again. Missed some marvelous opportunities to be a sinner all your life and go to hell. Missed some more marvelous opportunities, criticism and persecution, not to get filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues. Everybody in here has got a story that says, man, when I got spirit-filled, it was a fight. It was a dog fight. But you made it, and it was a keystone in your life. Probably nothing since the new birth has been so exponential in causing increase in your life than to have the Holy Ghost come in in power. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. So you've got yet to find that place that you make your calling and election sure where you find your office and you stand in it by faith. It'll move your whole life forward. Well, I'm waiting for the money. I'm waiting for my kids to get grown. You just got to go for it. Amen. Amen. Well, everybody faces an opportunity to either embrace or reject keystones. They come every day. If you're a tither this morning... The Bible says he pours out, out of the windows of heaven, he pours out blessings, opportunities to advance your life. He pours out so many, the Bible says, so many come that you're not able to take advantage of all of them. Is that amazing or what? So many things are coming your way, you can't even physically or emotionally implement everything God's got poured out for you.
You just have to pick whatever you can hold. Like that grocery store thing where they say, you've got 10 minutes in this basket and to put everything in it in 10 minutes, you can take home. Putting the hams in and the roast in and everything. Skip the light bread. We're not putting light bread in the basket. Hallelujah. We're not putting asparagus in there. We're putting in the stuff. Well, that's the way it is in your life. Wow, so much. You can't even get around it all. So you got to ask yourself, what is the thing you lackest? Do you know today... If I stopped you and said, write down on the card, what is the one thing you lackest, would you know? Because if you don't know, you're not in faith about it. And if you're not in faith about it, it's not coming your way. And if it's not coming your way, then you're going to live that life that is mundane, routine, however blessed, and just walk along at one rate. So take your card out this morning and write down on one side real quickly, because you know they like to get out before the Baptist. Write down what it is that you say is the one thing I lack in my life. That if that was done, if that was accomplished, would exponentially put me forward. Now remember, it's not always what you think. Well, I need more money. Well, yeah, we could all need more money. That guy that was down to his last million was having nervous shakes at night because he was about to lose it all. Money's not always it, is it? Hallelujah. So just write it down real quickly. I'm on the clock. You know I'm on the clock. I wish that we could turn them in and I could correct them in my office and then send them back to you and say, no, that's wrong. That's bad. Here's what you need. I wish I could. I wish I could help you with that. But you know, there's not a right and wrong answer here. Well, there is a right and wrong answer here, but I don't know it. You have to decide. You have to determine that. Now look back in chapter 10. Verse 21 says, one thing thou lackest. But before that, it says, Jesus beholding him loved him. Now, let me ask you something. If Jesus, before he said one thing thou lackest, he looked at the man and loved him. The New American Standard says Jesus felt the love for him. What word is going to follow when somebody loves you? It's going to be something good that God's got for him. And so this man was loved, and then Jesus says, i got one word for you. Now listen, the word that God's got for you is a good word. He's not got a plan for you in any way that's not blessed. Something that will move your whole life forward that you look back and you go, wow, I didn't take every step that's behind me. I was blasted to the future. We've had those. I've had those in my life. How about you? Moving to Alabama was a keystone for our lives. If we hadn't have done that, okay, we would have been blessed in Texas, but I'm telling you, this is where it happened. And then moving to Tuscaloosa for us was keystone. He said, I'm going to give you a word, Mr. Rich Young Ruler, that's going to put you over. You're asking me what it is that would put you over, and I'm going to give you the word. And the word that I give you will not necessarily seem relative to your situation, but it was relative to where he was in his life. One thing thou lackest. He said that to a rich man. The Bible says the reason he went away sorrowful and grieved is because he had many possessions. He thought there was a two-way system, and most Christians are this way. When you ask them, what do you lack? What is it you need to give up? What it is that you need to embrace? Most of them can't think of how they could give up or embrace without altering their lifestyle in such a way that it would give them harm or displeasure. So they're not willing to write it down. Well, I need to read the Bible more, and I need to pray more. We're not talking about praying more. We're talking about <laughs> a keystone that would change your life. Maybe you need to pray in the Holy Ghost an hour every day, and you have to commit to that 
and you go, well, there's a lot of other stuff. That's going to change everything. If you're not a tither, I can tell you right now, let me just end the questionnaire for you. That is the keystone for your life. If you're not a tither and you're a Christian, there is nothing that you can do that is more important and will cause your life to advance more than tithing. If you're shacked up with somebody, you're not married, you're doing the shack up thing, let me just tell you right here. <laughs> I did this with a couple in Texas. They wanted to get married, but they were living together. So I said, move out for six weeks and come see me every week and I'll tell you how to live. And they moved out together and then I married them and they moved back in. They've been living together for years. That sort of thing is obvious. But people, it's like, I can't do that. Maybe they're a bartender. Had a man that was a bartender. The money's so good, I can't go get a regular $10 an hour job because, you know, I make $160 in tips every shift. He says, but I'm winning people to Jesus. <laughs> you get screwy in your thinking, and the rich young ruler, don't criticize him too much because we've all got those issues of what the keystone would involve and the cost to it. And you've got to ask yourself, are you willing to pay the cost? First of all, do you know what the keystone is for your life for right now? Do you know what it is? You do. You do. You do. Holy Spirit is faithful. You know. But you've rationalized it away. You've reasoned it to smithereens. You have so got that thing tucked away and locked up that there is no way God would expect you to do that because you have so worked that thing out that there's no way. That's it. But it is. It's just going to cost you initially. It's going to cost you to change everything, but it'll cause your life to exponentially to go forward, to move everything forward. But you have to deal with it, and it will not go away. And it's going to cost you initially. It's going to cost you. Moving from Texas was a tremendous move, and we're still getting kinfolks tell us about what it cost them. <laughs> Point is, is you know what it is, and I don't know if you wrote it down on the card. It may take a little more honesty. It may be more willing to pay the cost but you got to come up with it because nothing's really going to work until you get that keystone into your life. I'll just do this. You'll substitute. You'll work around another deal. It just doesn't produce. One for one, one for one. You know about one for one. You put one unit of faith in, you get one unit of faith out. But in the keystone, you put one unit of faith in and you get multiples back. And we need that in these end days. Now, the Lord told me this morning, he spoke to me Exodus 18. And in Exodus 18 is the story about Moses. Don't go there, but it's in verse 17. Moses was judging the people all day, every day. He was the law. He was the judge. They were coming to him, and his father-in-law, Jethro, came in from the desert, and he looked at Moses and said, son, what are you doing? He said, well, I judge the people, and I fix all their troubles. The implied version, it says, the thing that you are doing is not good. And the implication there is, in the verses before, the good thing that you do is not good. Did you hear me? Well, you know, if you do a good thing, it's good. Not if it's to the exclusion of an excellent thing. Good is always the enemy of best. You can spend your whole life doing good and never engage what is for your life. What God has called you, your calling. You can spend all your life doing what somebody else could do, but not ever engaging what God told you that only you can do. As a pastor here, my greatest challenge is to do all that only I can do so that everyone else can do what they can do. But if I do their job, if I go into the nursery, if I let Debbie go into the nursery, if I sing the song, hurt you bad, but I mean, in a way, 
there's pastors that do, then I'm not going to do what only I can do. Got that? And you're the same way. There's things that only you can do, and you must do them. And if anything, even good things, stand in its way, then you are at fault. And the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 17, any person who knows what is right to do but does not do it, to him it is sin. Literally, King James says, for him who knoweth to do good and doeth it not, for him it is sin. And so it's not like you're drinking and going out and carrying on that we're going, that's bad. It's that what are you doing that's good that's in the way of what is excellent and expedient and keystone? What is it that you should be doing in your breakthrough that you are off piddling doing something that is just nominal Christianity? Am I telling you the truth? So it's on you to do. The principle is all through the Word of God. I've just picked this one place out. We've looked at it the other three weeks. you got to know, when is the last time, look, when is the last time you did something for the first time? It's time to do it again. If you hadn't done something for the first time in a good while, you've been too long. It's time to do something for the first time, to step out. It's up to you what you do with your one and only life. Now, I want you to turn the card over. And since I've been talking about 15 minutes since the first time, I want you to see if there's something different since we put down the first time that you say, actually, I really know that first thing wasn't the keystone. That was just something I could do like a resolution. You're believing God for finances. Finances is a real need in your life and or finances is a real call in your life. Romans 12 talks about the paymaster that you're called to fund the kingdom. But you don't have the spiritual wherewithal, the capacity in order to fund the kingdom because it takes all of your life to live your life. And you don't have the word in you. And there's nothing you could do that would be more expedient than to be in the word. And you'd have to say, i got to put the Word down. Nothing really is going to happen in my life until I get the Word in. You have to meditate the Word. Say it with me. Meditate the Word. And then praying in the Holy Ghost. Some of you don't pray in the Holy Ghost. Praying out the mysteries of your future. The specific keys that will cause your life that you will see and know what God has called you to do and how to do it. And you will have that keystone that will advance your life. What would have taken two years or three years or more, if it could ever be done, will be done instantly when you see and know. Are you writing on the back side of your card? Some of you, your marriage, there's nothing going to happen until you get your marriage. You are mean to her, and nothing's going to happen until you get that out of you. Of course, you know, you're all good to him, of course, naturally. What is it? What is it? What is it? Some of you have a relationship with people that you just can't give up. You're living with people, or you're under people. You're letting people rule you. You're 40 years old, and your mama still barks, and you start running. I have it wrote down here, and I'll quit with this. You won't commit to anything that you're unwilling to write or to say. None of us are willing to commit to anything long-term that we're unwilling to commit to paper or to tell somebody. You go to somebody and you just say, I want you to know, I'm, I'm going to lose weight this year. It's the keystone for my life. I just want you to know I'm getting a job this year or I'm changing jobs. Whatever it is, whatever it is, or you write it down. And you say, I promise, professing this is what I believe God's keystone is for my life. 
Amen. Now, it takes boldness to quit wrestling. That's what the Lord told me. It takes boldness to quit wrestling. And if you're wrestling this morning, you're saying that you have a dream in your heart, you have a goal in your life, you have a call in your life. That's what midlife crises are, is when people wake up one day and they go, Dear Lord, I'm behind schedule. I should be further along. Happens all the time. And it's not even midlife. It happens to 20-something-year-olds, and some people don't catch on until about 70. Wow, I should have done more, should have had more, should have produced more, should be more. It doesn't matter. What you have to do is get out of the wrestling. You have to have boldness. So I want you to stand up this morning, and I'm going to pray for you for the keystone to be activated for 2010.